These are certainly heady times in San Francisco as thousands of young people are on the verge of becoming instant millionaires and buying into and the housing of market. New wealth for those employees, and some of that wealth could make its way right here to the San Francisco housing employee market. employee and former employee pool would be about $1.5 billion, which is actually more than the collective value of every single property currently on the market in San Francisco. I'm Owen Thomas, business editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. And what you just heard was the IPO mania we saw earlier this year when Uber and Lyft were poised to go public. And there was a lot of breathless reporting about how this would affect San Francisco, chiefly its housing market. Well, we have one of the top experts on Bay Area housing, our net worth columnist, Kathleen Pender, here with us. Kathleen, housing prices actually didn't take off the way people expected. What did people get wrong about the IPO effect? Well, for starters, there was a lot of uh, breathless anticipation that I don't think was even really warranted by facts. Earlier this year, I reported on three academic studies, recent ones, that actually tried to quantify the impact of IPOs on housing prices. And these studies looked at Facebook and Google, recent Bay Area IPOs, I mean, recent in memory. Well, one looked at Facebook only, and one was very comprehensive. It looked at uh, IPOs, 725 IPOs by California companies between 1993 and 2017. And what that one found, and what they all found, generally speaking, was that they do have an impact somewhat limited on housing prices. That impact tends to be closest to the IPO announcement date and the IPO itself. Uh, But the impact fades the farther you get in time and distance from the company that went public. So people said this time was different because it was so many companies and they were all based in San Francisco as opposed to being kind of spread around Silicon Valley. Well, the main difference is that during the dot-com boom in the late 90s, there were probably more in number, but they were more in Silicon Valley. What's different this time is you had fewer, but they were very big, and they were concentrated in San Francisco for the first time. So people thought this would just make San Francisco's housing market already red hot. I mean, we crossed the million-dollar marker uh, for the median home price years ago. Uh, that it would just, you know, turbocharge it. I remember one story had a, uh, you know, a real estate uh, real estate agent hyping the idea that we would hit $5 million for yeah. single-family yeah. homes. There was one headline in the New York Times that said, when Uber and Airbnb go public, San Francisco will drown in millionaires. And somehow that headline morphed into thousands of new millionaires are about to eat SF alive. If you Google that phrase, you'll find that dozens and dozens of online stories. Of course, that didn't really happen. What we've had in the last year is generally a flat to declining home price market. So what these academic studies found, right, was that the IPO effect was real, but it tended to happen when the IPO was announced. And and on the date of the IPO, but that it faded soon after. And uh, in the in the Facebook one, they they did have the Facebook IPO did have a noticeable impact on prices around Facebook's headquarters. But then when you got miles away, it really faded. But what we don't know, what can't be measured is what would have happened 
without the IPOs. Okay, prices didn't soar. They've gone flat to down. But would they have been down more without the IPOs? That's kind of the big question. Were the IPOs kind of propping up the housing market that would otherwise have naturally been on the decline? That's possible. Uh, If you look just at San Francisco, now San Francisco's had a lot of building compared to other parts of the Bay Area. They have added some new construction. And um, despite that, if you look, the prices in San Francisco, I think, have held up better than some of the other counties around the Bay Area. And maybe that's because the IPOs have been concentrated in San Francisco. There's also, you know, just limited supply um, across the Bay Area, but especially in San Francisco. Even with these new condo projects coming online, the market's still pretty tight. Volume has been down and uh, real estate agents have been talking about affordability as a real problem in in driving volume. You know, as, as much as the prices have been up, sales volume has been down. And of course, if you're a real estate agent, you want to sell homes. You don't want to uh, just do a, a high ticket deal uh, every now and then. Yeah. What I really think happened is that prices just got so astronomical. They just got beyond the ability of almost anyone to buy one, unless you're maybe a two-income couple, you're both working for high-tech companies, or you just came into some IPO money, I think prices just kind of reached a breaking point where they stalled out. But what's interesting is that despite the prices in, in the recent months, affordability in the Bay Area has actually gotten better. More people can afford a median-priced home. And that's partly because prices have stopped going up and have gone down a bit in some places. It's also because mortgage rates are quite a bit lower now, about a full percentage point than where they were last year. And also incomes are rising. And if you put those three together, uh, affordability is increasing um, quite a bit in some Bay Area counties. In in San Francisco, it's still the worst. I think the affordability has gone from where 15 percent of Uh, people could buy a median-priced house a year ago to 18%. It's still pretty tough here. But that statistic excludes condos, which make up a big part of the housing stock in in San Francisco. So you have to take all these numbers with a grain of salt. Yeah, there's there's lots of numbers in real estate. Certainly, your your net worth column has helped me make uh, a lot more sense of what's going on in the market. What do you think is next? You know, there are still uh, companies trying to go public. Uh, Some of these companies have gone public, but their shares are locked up, meaning that insiders, investors and employees can't sell their shares yet. Is there still a a hangover of of stock that could provide a a lift to the housing market or are we past that? Yeah, I think the story is not over yet. A lot of the companies went public in the spring or early summer, and they typically have a six-month lockup period where employees and and VCs, early investors, can't sell their shares. Those lockup periods are just kind of now expiring, and I don't think everyone rushes out to buy a house the day after their shares get unlocked. So I think you could see some residual impact uh, over the next few months. Um, Airbnb, that's a big company. They haven't gone public yet, maybe next year. So, uh, yeah, there still could be some impact, but I think the breathless anticipation we heard earlier in the year, like on those clips and those headlines, you're not hearing that much anymore. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Uber and Lyft and other tech companies that went public, uh, especially the kind of hotly anticipated ones, their shares have not done well. 
Yeah, uh, Uber, Lyft, and Slack, they're all trading below their IPO price. Levi Strauss and Pinterest, they're oh, just a tad above their IPO price. Uh, Zoom Communications, they've done really well. That's a, a few, San Jose company, Right, of San Jose, right. And some of some um, smaller medical equipment and biotech IPOs have done well. But the big ones, the hotly anticipated ones, have been kind of a disappointment. That said, a lot of employees who join these companies early get options or stock at very low prices, maybe cents per share. And even if the IPO comes out lower than expected and drops, those people still can unlock a lot of cash if they want to. On the flip side, all of those people have roofs over their head right now. They're not unhoused. So they would be possibly trading up. Maybe they're renting and, uh, you know, becoming a buyer. But that means that a housing, you know, a housing unit gets freed up on the other end. They're not net new buyers, um, in other words, in in the market. Right. The net new buyers would maybe be coming from outside San Francisco or the Bay Area. And as a lot of studies have talked about lately, the net immigration of people from other states is, is I mean, there's more people moving to other states than there are moving here from other states. Although our foreign in migration is still kind of offsetting that. So the population here is still growing, but it is not growing like it used to. And at the same time, we are adding more houses. Well, we'll talk more about the future of the housing market after a brief break. I'm Owen Thomas, San Francisco Chronicle's business editor. I'm here with our net worth columnist, Kathleen Pender, and we're talking about the recent past and future of the Bay Area housing market, one of Kathleen's special areas of expertise. So Kathleen, what can we look forward to in 2020? You mentioned Airbnb is still out there talking about becoming a public company. Um, if uh, if these stocks don't recover, though, uh, if they still kind of uh, go sideways or trade down, um, will that be a negative sign for uh for the housing market, you had mentioned uh, sometimes the price, uh, you know, sometimes the price of a home reflects uh, sellers' anticipation of these IPOs. So if the IPOs didn't live up to expectations, are housing prices going to have to correct? Well, I think you got to keep the IPO thing in perspective. It, it's really a small part of the overall market. And what's really going to drive the market are, are just the greater forces of incomes, population growth or shrinkage, interest rates. Inter interest rates can be a big factor. Now, they're very low right now. It's hard to see them getting any lower unless we have a recession. And if we have a recession, then incomes are going to drop. Uh, housing market tends to go in long-term cycles, give or take seven years. And we had a long, very upward trend in prices that started leveling off recently, maybe dipping a little. And I think, you know, I can't really predict what's going to happen, but I can't see anything that's going to really drive prices insanely upward. I don't see them coming way down unless we have a recession. I think I think what you're seeing right now in the market, and I talk to realtors all the time, you know, what are you seeing out there on the ground? And what you hear now is it's a very kind of almost balanced or mixed market. You have some houses where if they're mispriced or they need a lot of work, 
they can sit on the market a long time and undergo several price cuts. On the other hand, if you have a nice house that's move-in ready in a good area with good school districts and it's priced right, it'll be snapped up in a week with multiple offers and go for over asking price. That's what you're seeing right now. And I think maybe that's what we're going to see over the next few months or year. You've been writing quite a bit about Atherton, which is the once again the most expensive zip code in the country, uh, if I have that right, and um, a, a very interesting market. Lots of factors there. What's going on in Atherton in particular? Oh, Atherton is just a world unto itself. Honestly, yeah, I think the median home price there is around eight million dollars. <laughs> I think the next most expensive towns in the Bay Area are Hillsboro. And it's about $4 million. Um, what's going on there is they have a unique set of circumstances that kind of come together to really push up prices. One is that they have minimum one-acre lot sizes. Many acres, money, lots are multiple acres. They have all single-family zoning, no commercial, no multifamily. And the town there is more lenient with what people build than in some of the other rich neighboring communities. And there are just mega mansions go going up there. If you drive around, you just can't even believe the size of some of these places. They look like hotels more than homes. And you have people like Steph Curry buying houses there. Some of these houses are compounds. And you know, a while ago, the rich people wanted to be in more of the rural suburbs, like maybe Los Altos Hills, and, and these new buyers are younger, and they want to be a little closer to the action. They like Hill, uh, Atherton because it's close to down, downtown Menlo Park. It's close to Stanford. It's, it's a little bit more urban for mm -hmm. a suburban community than some of the other places, and it's just astronomical. And now, uh, Apple and Google and Facebook have collectively pledged billions of dollars to address the uh, the region's housing crisis. Is that going to do much? That just remains to be seen. Uh, Apple pledged a lot of money, but when you look under the hood and, and try to actually dig into the details, what are these things going to be? We don't know yet. Uh, they announced a big mortgage program that was going to help people buy their first home. But when you ask, well, how's it going to work? Who's going to qualify? What are the details? We don't know yet. Uh, and the amounts that they're pledging are a lot, and they should be commended for this. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. But it's still, I think most, most people would say it, it's, I don't want to say it's a drop in the bucket. It's some drops in the mm -hmm. bucket. <laughs> it's going to help, but it's not by themselves going to solve the housing shortage. And there's now a lot of pressure from Sacramento. Uh, there's legislation, there's other initiatives that the governor is pushing to um, essentially force cities to allow more housing to be built. Do you think those will bear fruit and how will that play out in the housing market if they're successful? Well, they've been doing this for some years now and some cities embrace those new um, directives from Sacramento. San Jose has been very, very aggressive at building new houses. Other communities find ways to fight that any way they can. One example is Cupertino, where there's a essentially an abandoned mall in the uh, in the shadow of Apple Park, Apple's shiny new multi-billion dollar headquarters. 
and there's a big fight over how much housing can be built there. Um, do you think that, uh, you know, is that reflective of kind of the the larger crisis and the the conflict here? Well, yeah, I'm, I don't think there, well, there's, you know, NIMBYs, that's people not in my backyard. They mm -hmm. don't want anyone coming in. They want to close the door behind them. And then you have the YIMBYs, the yes in my backyards, the folks that want more housing. I would say that the NIMBYs still far outweigh the YIMBYs. <laughs> so, yeah. But they don't like that term. They don't, uh, <laughs> they don't like to be called that. Well, um, of course not, but I think that's what they are. And that's, that's a, that goes on everywhere pretty much in the country. Uh, I think what's going on is people see housing being built and they say, I'm all for housing, but where is the infrastructure? I'm not seeing any new roads. I'm not seeing new bridges. All I'm seeing is parking being taken away. Uh, I don't see schools bu being built. If we're going to build all this new housing, we need to build the infrastructure to go with it. And I think if there was more attention paid to that, you might see more openness to new housing in some of these communities that have been fighting it. Well, it's a complex issue, and I can tell listeners the best way to stay abreast of it is to read Kathleen's columns on uh, sfchronicle.com and in the newspaper. And Kathleen, we hope to have you back soon to talk more net worth. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.